I think I was on This Is False twice. Twice. Yeah. And one time I thought I did really bad. You did not. I felt like I was You did really not bad. do bad either time. What, what did we talk about? Do you remember? Was it just like random? We just had you on for... We did... There was like some specific things, but I don't... Don't I don't remember and I remember feeling like I was unprepared and I wanted to be able to like speak to certain things but my brain was blanking Yeah, but a that's lot. not what this is false is about. I know. <laughs> I mean, I guess it depends on the episode. Some of them are more. Yeah, but like you also, you just, you recall shit. Like you guys uh, both. No, Bilal is an encyclopedia. We've, we've talked about this. Yeah, Bilal knows everything. <laughs> like, I'm not going to lie. Walking Bilal, Wiki, walk Wikipedia your, like, over here. I, it's, I very well may be your biggest fan. Just so you know. Uh, you got to compete with uh, with Lindsay. That's fine. got to compete with Lindsay. And Cam. Cam's <laughs> well, yeah. Okay, but like, Cam's like on the podcast, so it kind of doesn't count. Like, I'm... Is she? I don't know. I haven't seen <laughs> yeah. her in a while. <laughs> Wait. Is she actually on this podcast? I don't know. Wait, Cam, are you on this podcast anymore? Sometimes. <laughs> She's here, folks. Don't worry about it. Cam is too busy being a proletarian paying the rent. Cam, ah, Cam yes. Is paying, Cam's paying the rent. Cam is capitalism. She's she's working so that we can faff so off and do play. podcasts. She's making this dinner. Cam's, <laughs> yeah. Cam's hands look like that, ideas. so. <laughs> we are now in the process of defeating the radicalism, the Marxists, the anarchists. Slight Palestine update, I guess. Just like really quick off the top, really quick. You guys have much to say in terms of that right now, or? Well, the ceasefire. The ceasefire is Yahoo and his fucking quote. Like, was this? Please tell me. Can you confirm (sighs) that this was an actual quote? That he was, but I don't remember what it was or where I saw it. I remember what the quote was. It was about him like never forgiving Arabs for making them kill their children. We will never forgive Arabs for forcing us to kill their children. Yeah. Oh god! I didn't even know that. Like that. Yeah. Holy shit! Yeah, it's yeah, something like that. I don't. I don't know where it was, or like it was. I saw it earlier, and I was like, oh, "That can't be a real quote." But it was like, "No, it's probably real." Yeah. No. Every time I think it, that can't be real. There's about, this about line it's like, where it's like, "Was this said by an Israeli politician or a Nazi?" Yeah, and I, I always lose. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's always. It's never the Nazi. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, it's getting real bad. But like the. Uh, the pa- the humanitarian pause is over. That was that was on. We were in day three of that. I think the last time we podcasted. So mm-hmm. that's over uh, in a big way. And in fact, been... uh, over a thousand people have been killed in the last week. That's the that's no. The it was twenty four hours. Twi- was it twenty four hours it was, after the? It was twenty thousand people in twenty four hours. Something crazy like that. Yeah, there's uh, maybe I'll put some in the in the description. But there's some really great TikTok accounts. If you're inclined out there to be on TikTok, there's some Palestinian journalists that have been like doing fucking incredible and heartbreaking work that I think like should be highlighted and should be seen by people. So maybe I'll put some of those in the uh, in the description because like I think it's it's hard sometimes to read about it uh, and and get a, a sense of what's actually going on and and you know these these journalists that are taking videos while shit while shit's being bombed. It's like holy fuck! It just has a different weight to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, I know that like at this point, a lot of people are trying to avoid it a little bit because it's been two straight months of this, and and it can get exhausting, and and that sort of level of compassion fatigue is there. But I think it has to stay front of mind in a lot of ways. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I don't, I don't know if we need to say anything else about it. Just, just to say that hey, it's still going on. In case you were curious, in case you were, uh, you know, ignoring the news, which might be a healthy thing to do. But mm-hmm. uh, it's, are we, uh, are we like recording? Yeah. Recording? Like, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Why oh, okay. Not? No, I, yeah. I, I just <laughs> just check it in. Okay. Just get it in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I just think like we can't stop. Like that's a good point. Yeah. Like because this is we we've seen the tangible impact, in at least in so far as like. Oh, there was a, a ceasefire. There is talk about like limits here uh-huh. and there, and like I think like if not on a political level or an economic level, like culturally things are changing in terms of how we think about this thing. Uh, like big unions even have been putting out statements. Like the postal workers yeah. in the U.S., United Auto Workers have mm-hmm. all been calling for these. Uh-huh. This is becoming like a lightning rod issue, and that's really really important to keep going. Yeah. I think the fact that we've seen like this transition to like what is it seventy five percent of Canadians call for a ceasefire or support it. I think it's yeah, more it's now, that, yeah. yeah. Call like support a ceasefire, mm-hmm. and to see that like cultural shift go from you know to being largely supporting Palestine. I think that enough and like that support in. I know like when we were at um, the Palestine rally not that long ago, and having other folks other. Windsor-based Palestinians come up to us and say, like, hey, knowing that you're here, knowing that you care, knowing that you support means something. Mm-hmm. I think seeing that cultural shift, like, locally matters, too, let yeah. alone that we're, we are actually seeing it make impact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, it's not really stopping it yet, but I think that, like, Israel and the United States and Canada, which are the three kind of... That's the thing. Canada's increasingly putting itself on an island with the United States and Israel in a way that, like, it never has previously. Not that it's ever been anti-Israel or anything, but uh, it's it's gotten like this country has gotten a far, far more Zionist in its in its nature and in its political uh, in the political class. But uh, I think that like you know they're losing the PR war at this mm-hmm. point, which which does matter, right? Like Israel isn't like there's there's no way to make this look like it's what they say it is that it's self-defense that it's necessary that they're rooting out like it's just increasingly difficult to make that argument and be taken seriously right well at first maybe there was an argument right mm-hmm. you know it was I, I, i'm not saying i ever agreed with that but i think for like for argument's sake right at the beginning you know okay we have to go and we have to do something about it but like the just lack of giving a fuck about proportionality mm-hmm. and just the blatantness of you know there's just no line there's no limit yeah. they've just gone so far that i think anyone who like even did buy that at the beginning it's so hard to argue that at this point and like i think on a previous podcast we talked about like how this has like the palestine issue is like this weird thing in canada right now where it's it's kind of expressing all these different contradictions within our political system like mm-hmm. even like democratic questions like you, you said like 75 percent plus of canadians want a ceasefire but our, so our elected officials yeah they exactly. can't call for it and they're actually targeting people who do call for it and people are losing their jobs still and yeah. all, all the shit right so there, there's a contradiction there right like as to just the you know a question of democracy and what mm-hmm. that even means at this point yeah well welcome back to the river in the land travis Laver, Bilal rafiq and we have a third guest in three weeks Hello. We never discussed if you wanted to use your real name. Is that okay? Yeah. Star Malosh. Star Malosh is here. If you might, if, if you're an OG, this is false listener. You might, you might remember Star. Uh, Star was on a couple episodes that we did um, 
and uh, we we were trying to discuss. Maybe we'll I'll leave that part in. We're trying to discuss like, which, which <laughs> episodes you were on. Yeah. I don't remember. Like you can go back and try to find her, I guess. But uh, yeah, it, it's uh, it's it's good to have you back in the in the podcasting space because you're. Yes. I think you're very good at it because you're very fiery and you don't hold back. You know, and and I'm setting that you up now. Way. I like to come and yell about things, and this yeah. time I get to yell about stuff into a microphone, so that's fun. Yeah, you always yell about shit. It's funny. Like you'll listen to an episode and you'll call me. From yeah. wherever you and are. I send you voice notes as I'm listening yeah. and I'm having full on <laughs> conversations with like with you guys. At increasing volume throughout yes. the episodes. <laughs> we should we should just have like a a second version of all these episodes with that my commentary. Yeah, that please do a live well, a live react. Should we yeah. put this like before our rant just now? Or like, <laughs> yeah, like I don't know. Like, well we'll, we'll go back. Yeah, we'll, okay. we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Uh, we're your editing magic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, you know, I think it I think it works with this. I just just forgot to say that welcome to the river in the land park sometimes i do that because if this is false we never did that we just started talking mm-hmm. uh but uh yeah we're trying to be more professional these days so we're we're here because we want to talk about the closure uh, or the impending closure of the consumption treatment site here in windsor uh overdose prevention site not if we can uh, help it safe point well yeah i mean i think it's it's a it's a hell of an uphill battle and that's i think what we're going to talk about today is like what led to this closure why it's important to keep open what are the avenues that could keep it open and what what do we need to do to help affect that because i think we saw just as i was moving back to windsor you and uh, bilal and and and, uh, cameron were very much involved in getting the place opened in terms of there was a sudden push by council to to ax it and uh, it was the community that kept it going you know that that got it back so uh, we can do it again it's just going to mm-hmm. require, I think it's going to require a little more this time. It is uh, different, but I, I think in general, it, it is the same thing, right? And I think part of, like, what we talk about today is also, like, the real history of this, a uh, real history of harm reduction in Windsor, not as this, like, bureaucratic thing that the city just, like, gave us, but mm-hmm. as, like, a product of working class direct Grass action organizing. Action that's yeah. been going on for years, long literally, before there's any political years. attention exactly. given to it in the city. Yeah. Yeah. To, to talk about the last bit of the history. So the CTS, if you're wondering, if you're listening to this, and you're going, I thought that just opened. It did in April of this year. So it's mm-hmm. been open for, what is that? Seven months, eight months, almost. Something like that. Uh, not that long. Uh, so the fact that this was a, well more than a decade long battle to get a safe consumption site here uh for that to then go potentially up in smoke within less than a year is uh even more angering you know is even more it just yeah it just like having that close like that um again it's just incredibly frustrating like it didn't even like this thing is like it it opened and, and we were very concerned about it being open but i remember at the time even saying Great, we finally have one of these, but it, there's no peer workers in this place, uh, which makes it unique amongst mm-hmm. the you know the other safe consumption safe consumption sites around Canada. Um, no no peers, no people who use that are working there. Yeah, no um, one with lived experience, no which lived experience. usually, especially in these movements, like one of the core tenets of the harm reduction movement and safe consumption movement is um, nothing about us without us. Right. So mm-hmm. it exactly. was already challenging to see that like voice left out but also it's not yeah. surprising here in Windsor right. not surprising that that oh, was wait, the version we got it was in large part left out and that that is a crucial difference compared to other cities on many levels there's the I think overall just the trajectory Windsor took or seems to have taken whereas if you compare like I think the model 
city for harm reduction in Canada is like Vancouver, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They had they're celebrating their twentieth anniversary of Insight, which is like this legendary uh, the original safe injection site yeah. in I think in North America. North America, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's awesome. It's it's super yeah. awesome. Uh, there's a fantastic film about it called Love in the Time of Fentanyl, which mm-hmm. everyone should watch if you're yeah. unsure about what harm reduction actually is. It's always been a bottom-up thing, right? Where in Vancouver, people were just dying in the streets, and it was unbelievably horrific. And as an act of just, like, community preservation, the community themselves, by any means necessary, just had to keep each other alive, right? And that's where this came from. And, like, the legalistic, formalistic kind of... the recognition of it came after right it was always already a thing in reality and they were just like okay we're recognizing this as Mm -hmm. a thing that's not we almost had that in windsor right maybe you you guys would be able to speak to Mm -hmm. this more than i because i wasn't around during that but that process that was happening in windsor where we had peers themselves doing it and doing the thing was cut cut off Mm-hmm. At times, violently, from at what the, I understand, right? knees, and then yeah. we had Safe Point as a substitute for that. So this question of like, oh, is Safe Point peer to peer? Like, that was almost like a side thing because yeah. the movement was just like, oh, let's get this alive, right? Yeah, let's get it alive. We first. just need this to exist. Yeah, it, it, we were one of the last communities. We were the last community of this size, like uh, this classification mm-hmm. of city that that didn't have one. Exactly. Yeah. But I also think that it was a mistake in the movement to not to just get it open and not care about peer to peer shit. Yeah. It need if it was going to survive, it would have to have had to come from the peer to peer shit. Yeah. Anyway, exactly. I'm ranting. Yeah, no, I'm just laying out the. the it's 100 percent true, yeah. and so I think we should we should just lay out a bit of the details about what's happened now. So, so this the CTS have been open, and it, not perfect by any means. Not not uh, not the ideal model, however, very much effective still. Very much actually keeping people alive, and we have some number, numbers on that that we'll get into. But mm. uh, the the latest sort of string of activity is that so so this place this opened in april almost out of a sense of urgency because the the province who is responsible for healthcare is and funds the other sort of legitimized um cts's around ontario they had said they'd put a pause on um any new sites any funding for new sites for the last two years and but had been telling municipal governments hey go ahead and open Start, use your own funds to get it open and then we'll reimburse you and then keep funding it in the future. We just have to go through this whole review process and we got to make sure that, you know, everything's, you know, all the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted or whatever. And then as that was happening, the uh, there was a shooting out front or near, steps away, so it says, steps away from, uh, from a, a CTS site in Toronto. And it turned out that one of the workers at the CTS site was, was uh, wrapped up in the murder. It was, it was arrested for some, aiding a betting or something. I can't exactly, I don't know exactly what the charge was, but involved in the, in the, in the murder of this, this um, a single mom that was killed out front of a CTS. And so suddenly that just opened the whole moral panic floodgate of like, oh no, we have to review, we're, we're going to review all the new funding for this again. We, we, can't, we can't possibly be funding any new sites in this time because we have to like review whether or not these are a good idea in our communities. That was Which the, we know is an excuse, obviously. They were waiting for any excuse exactly. to, to, to make that happen. And so now with the funding indefinitely put off, the city of Windsor and its health unit, which is in, relatedly, I think, going through its own uh, deep cuts this week as we know in the news they were 
uh, told basically, look, we're not. We're, they said we're not going to fund it, and uh, and so now it's closing on December thirty first. Yeah, they're not even asking for new funding. No, like the own that the health unit is almost taking a, a political position because that that I guess like the political context of this is even the city councilors who were pro harm reduction are not asking for the city to fund it. They're making a political decision and playing this political battle with the province yep. where they're saying they're trying to, you know, whose, whose jurisdiction it is, who should be paying for it rather than the bottom line of this should be open yeah, and, and by any means necessary. And that's very, it's very sad, honestly, and very fucked up. So the health unit is not even saying like, please fund this. They're caving into this like political game. Yeah. Yeah, and the so they're putting lives on the line to play a political game with the yeah. provincial government. Like even even the more sympathetic counselors, uh, and we can name them because they've been saying it in the media: Fabio Costante and Kieran McKenzie. Or maybe I actually have, don't know if Kieran said this. So, uh, but Fabio definitely in the media was saying, "Well, you know, healthcare is a provincial responsibility, and they have the responsibility to foot the bill." Agreed, Fabio. Agreed. Kieran 100%. also said something. Kieran to that something to the effect, on, on like okay. Facebook, I think. Yeah. So yeah. so agreed. You know, correct. That is true, and and uh, we should be fighting the province to fund these because they do have a literal legal responsibility to do so. However, in the absence of their funding, and knowing that the conservative government's going to play all these stupid fucking games, we should be funding it, and just continuing to fight the province to fund it and reimburse us in the future if that's what we need to do, because people fucking die, and and the the fact that. Like, we all know that the anti-harm reduction counselors are going to do what they do. They're, they're going to be against it. They're going to be against it being in the community, whatever, whatever. But these so-called, these fucking liberals, as we'll call them, as they are, uh, they want to play this political posturing game. They see it as a way to win points for their base. They see it as a way to, to nail the conservatives, to hit the conservatives uh, on, on a political thing and make a point. Meanwhile, in order to make that point, who knows how many people are going to die as a result. And people will like it's not even it's not even like oh people might die no no people will people die certainly will die certainly will There's die. There's been six hundred people um, that were provided services just since opening in April. That's six hundred people that have been overseen and had the risk of overdosing. There's been they, one overdose. Yeah. And that person did not die. Yeah. Because, because of this, the services. Mm-hmm. And all six hundred of those people, or not, it wasn't six hundred individual people. Six hundred visits, I think, was the. Uh, was nope, the thing. 600 was it 600 people 600 people 600 Holy people wow. that have been provided services that's who knows how many visits but 600 people have been provided services from the cts site and of those 600 people there's only been one overdose i'd have to look up the numbers but i can guarantee you that the numbers on the street do not look like that no mm-hmm. absolutely not well the, the reality not. is and like the most stunning uh statistic for me in regards to like harm reduction is the fact that there's never been a overdose related death in a harm reduction facility mm-hmm. ever, ever in North America it ever. has never happened so what does that say it says that every single time someone dies of uh, what what is the the word is was drug poisoning drug, i guess yeah, is like the word poisoning. opioid yeah. poisoning yeah 100% of the time it is preventable that's preventable yep. it is every single one of these deaths is unnecessary and is a uh, is should not have happened right it, it should be unacceptable that yeah. a single person dies when these resources are possible and I, i'm not saying that like 
anything's going to be 100% effective or that, you know, it's just this magic, like, band-aid and we'll be able to transport everyone who uses drugs into these things. But yeah. they have to be there. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a crucial crazy part. for them to not be there. Yeah, it is a crucial, a crucial piece of healthcare. Uh, and if we're going by those numbers, that's 105 deaths from opioids in 2022 in Windsor alone that could be prevented by this site that we're now saying we're not valuing mm-hmm. yeah. by being willing to close the site. And like, don't we have more than the provincial yes. average or the federal? We're, we're like something like so, double the federal average. Or yeah. So average? what's interesting about, about that is that the th- there were, there were three other cities who were like really drastically affected by this decision by the province to, to delay the funding. Sudbury, Timmins and Barrie. Sudbury and Timmins have already had, theirs were already open. And in fact, Sudbury have been open for two years or more than two years at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, Barrie has yet to open one. And those four cities, so us, Timmins, Windsor, Barrie, are four of the top six in Ontario in terms of uh, per capita opioid death. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and all four well above the, uh, the provincial average. So it's, it's, hitting, like, it's, it's hitting everywhere. And, and, and I don't think this is going to be the last, those will be the last CTSs to close if the Conservatives have their way. Uh, but it, of course it's hitting the, these communities that have been hit hardest by this. And, um, just to give another stat, like this is not a, an official stat cause it can't be, but during my dissertation research, uh, I had 32 people in my study, 16 of them are dead. And that was six years ago. Not all these people were old. Uh, some of them, some of them were a little older, but like not old enough to be dying randomly. And not all of them died from opioid overdoses either. It should be said, but I know of nine of those people did in fact die from opioids and it's probably higher than that i just don't know i don't know the cause of every single one of their deaths but that is a staggeringly high number right that's that's just 32 people that i know nine of them dead from opioids in six years right this is not like this is not some theoretical thing that kind of happens to somebody you might know somewhere this is something that's happening to people you know like everyone in this city knows someone who's been affected by this whether they know it or not they they know someone so. And I think the thing, too, that we kind of like to forget, um, especially when we see a lot of nimbyism in Windsor and everywhere, is that this is something that also affects various uh, economic classes. So mm-hmm. this isn't just the panhandlers on the street that, you know, that we like to hate on in downtown Windsor. This is... Um, I don't think that there's studies on, you know, who's used or the demographics that's used the CTS in Windsor-Essex, but... Um, it's people from all economic classes that are using these sites because they don't all have safe places to use substances. And so these really, really is people that you know. There really are people that you know. It's not just people that you're looking at or feeling like you can look down on on the street that are using these sites that are being saved by these sites. Mm -hmm. These are people that you might go to school with, that you might work with, that you might be related to or be friends with. I mean, you know, for us, like you say, Travis, I'm, I'm sorry that, you know, there's 16 people that you know that you grew close to, um, throughout your study that you now know you've lost. Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's, I, I, I constantly remind myself of it because I think it's important to remember, right? Like that in six years, half of the people I talked to officially for that study. And I, I like to remind politicians of that number too, because it goes well beyond this particular issue. And, and while yes, this does affect people across the socioeconomic spectrum, it more uh, readily affects poor people, right? Because they often have fewer uh, social supports and fewer access to, uh, sorry, to safe, to, to 
harm reduction materials and things like that. It's mm -hmm. harder to find. Uh, less, ac less, less access and knowledge of naloxone. Uh, you know these sorts of things. It's it's uh, like everything. If you know if, if you're at the bottom of the socioeconomic chain, things are going to hit you harder right. and faster. It's also the choice of drugs too. Right. It does yeah. vary depending on class. Like poor people tend to do different drugs and more dangerous drugs. Like and not get more unsafe supply of drugs as well. Yeah. Exactly. Like fentanyl. Yeah. One of the reasons fentanyl like was popularized in in North America. Actually, one of the the chemists who like. Is responsible for bringing it to North America. Mm -hmm. Thought that they were doing like a, a net good thing, because they understood that like oh heroin is very expensive, opioids can be really expensive. If we create this like cheap alternative, poorer people would be able to access it without that additional like financial burden on their lives, right? Mm -hmm. So like that's also also part of this. Yeah, yeah, and it just uh like that that idea of safe supply is really important too, because uh, because like. The, the thing is you're never going to stop people from using drugs that's just what people do right and so um giving them access to the safest possible supply that you can uh, is going to save lives as well and that's something that i mean we're, we're at this point we're 20 steps away from that conversation here in windsor but that does happen in other places in fact in vancouver where where uh, uh, certain amounts of opioids have been decriminalized uh for possession and, and um and there is a safe supply that's that's uh, you know being trotted out in some areas in Vancouver, and and, and it's working. Shocking. Yeah, Again, I think that's working. the thing that's, that's <laughs> so frustrating is that the evidence supports harm reduction. Every, the evidence yeah. supports safe consumption sites. The evidence supports, and not just like not just for the people that are using, although absolutely it supports evidence to save those people who deserve to be saved. These are citizens of our cities who we do need to take care of. Um, but also for the wider society, for the wider community. Like we see that we have safer communities. We see that we save money. We see that we save people. And we mm -hmm. see that we have a better culture when we have these services available. And yeah. I think that's something that's so often forgotten. And, you know, it's it's one thing to trot out like the incredible statistics, like us looking at, you know, we've served 600 people in Windsor, um, since April and only one overdose and no deaths and as Bilal mentioned no deaths due to overdose or drug use yeah. at a safe consumption site in all of my knowledge of these sites yeah no not even just in your knowledge the, or like just, in statistically it, sorry not statistically. Even, yeah and all, that's, that's, to me. that's the thing about the the sort of uh, legitimization of these sites over the last I would say 10 years or so 10-15 years is that we do have robust statistics and a huge sample size right this is not this is like the most science, one of the most scientifically rigorous, rigorously studied things in our culture. And it is very clear that it, it not only is effective, but uh, is like just absolutely necessary to, to reduce deaths. It's disappointing that, disappointing and not at all surprising that politicians will use this, whether it's the conservatives using the death of a single mother while tragic, happen to be happen to be connected to a person who worked in one of these things but like do we shut down bars when somebody gets stabbed in a bar downtown like no how much we violence don't. do we see in bars in downtown windsor and yet yeah like, know, we, shut down. like we've talked about it on this podcast before like most of the violence that occurs downtown comes from people attending bars not people which living by on the, the way street. are also safe consumption sites exactly. can we mention yeah yeah tend to be less safe consumption sites <laughs> right. yeah, people actually, get alcohol right. poisoning at bars and people i don't know all kinds of shit happens and don't bars. have don't have medical oversight at bars and yeah they overserve. people get in their car after 
Like it's mm. it's yeah. insane. But we're not talking about closing bars, you yeah. know. Uh, we don't talk about getting like just removing cars from the road because people die in accidents. You know what I mean? But but because someone who happened to work at a consumption treatment center was involved in a murder, that means oh, oh the entire project of harm reduction is thrown out the fucking window yeah. with it. It's the most absurd the thing, thing that, on the surface. The thing that I find absolutely wild about like again because we know like this is being used as an excuse and so awful for that woman for her family yeah. awful for you know the work and the people involved in that violence but we know this is being used as an excuse and the thing that's wild to me is that the the death and like the violence had nothing to do with the services provided by right. the safe consumption site this wasn't like there was a death due to overdose or there this wasn't there's nothing related to substance use that caused this death. It was just violence, which is unfortunate, but happens in many, many places. And like we've said, we don't shut down those those places that are much needed. It's purely political, and it's always been purely political. Like, if it wasn't this this shooting, it would have been something else. The same way that yeah. if we look at, like, the struggle mm-hmm. for Save Point and, like, the Save the CTS campaign in Windsor... You know, our first thing that we were fighting against was uh, Councillor Agostino having a problem with the location, right? Which we pointed out at the time, and we all know was was a bullshit excuse, right? It was it just it was whatever they could have contrived as a reason as to why they shouldn't have it. Then Councillor Geniac uh, being against like the, the going out on a limb and, and and funding this thing without knowing whether we're going to have provincial funding kicking in, which is actually ironic that that's, that's what happened. Like, yeah. she was low-key, right? For the wrong reasons. But, mm-hmm. you know, we pointed out time and time again, if it's not this issue... Well, I hit the mic. If it's not this issue, you're going to come up with another reason as to why you want it. And you don't want to just come out and say that you're just against these things existing because you don't believe that the preservation of a life should be a value that this city upholds. And that's what it comes down to. Now mm-hmm. we're even the best of the counselors, uh, the ones who did and honestly like were, were very commendable in how they fought for this yeah. in the past are capitulating and they're making a fiscal political argument yeah. that is going to result in death. So, and th- this is why like, just in general, and this is probably a common point that this podcast makes, is like these things need to be tied to community. And you know, if you ask the actual people who need these sites, needs these services, if you actually ask people who require this type of healthcare, do they want it to be cut or do they want this to be used as leverage in a political fight between the province and uh, municipality? They're gonna be like, "Fuck no, give us this!" Right? Yeah, exactly. It's the same as we any don't care other who the issue. Fuck funds it, just fund it. Exactly. This <laughs> should be a thing that we get. And anyone who tells you like, because I'm sure this would be their excuse, like we just don't have the money for it. It's our city city budget is due, whatever. It's not accounted for in that. Yo, like, how much money do they spend on the then fucking, fucking legacy? Account beacon? for it. Exactly. Yeah, they Make could it. come Make up with stuff if they need it. Like, it's and it should be it should be noted too that uh, according to the CBC, it's seven uh, under seven hundred and fifty thousand yeah. dollars a year that it costs to run Safe Point. Which mm. so yeah. all of Windsor, are you okay with going without bright lights for a year so we can fund our CTS for a little longer? Go without it one year and you could fund it mm. for one two. One year, yeah. You know, like because right. it's like one point six million, right, for bright lights. Personally. That's, Twice. I would choose the Legacy Beacon Streetcar over 15 <laughs> yeah. years of harm reduction services because that's literally the equivalency. Yeah, 10.3 million dollars. All these like it's so funny. Like the the conservative brain just yeah. using like fiscal because arguments. does that go to show the value though? 
Like the way that they value this Beacon Streetcar over how many lives in your own fucking city. Guys, this streetcar, though, it's going to be like unlike anything you've ever seen. It's going to save lives. It will be unlike anything you've ever seen in Windsor because we don't have transit. (laughs) (laughs) What is this relic of the past? Windsor Transit? People People are going to be trying to ride it. each other got on this at the same time? (laughs) Whoa. Yeah, and I mean, that's that's the thing, right? I mean, $750,000 sounds like a lot of money to you and me, and it is. But to the city, it's not. It's fucking pennies. They spend way more money on way dumber shit. Again, like, I'm not sure the exact number, so don't quote me. But I know the last time I looked at the Windsor Police budget, which at this point was a couple years ago, that. was over $110 million a year. Now, that number has more than doubled since 2014. So, you know, I can think of a few dollars we could get from somewhere. Like, let's bring it. Like, was was Windsor in 2014 some, like, crime-ridden fucking, like, what, like we could go back to 2014 numbers is what I'm saying. And, and nothing fundamentally would change about safety in our city. Uh, in fact, it would probably get safer because there'd be fewer fucking cops on the street. And you could take all of that money and fund so many things including safe point you you could fund five of them for fuck's sake which is probably what we need you know (laughs) like probably several more of them not just one downtown but all throughout our community so like i don't know it's and it's it's never it's a disingenuous this the fiscal conservatism in general is disingenuous it's not argued in good faith and i think that's important Mm. to remember that that when when conservatives talk about the things they can't afford a they're ignoring how money works which is a whole other episode get your shots out (laughs) and also (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and also, more importantly, they have no problem spending money on things that make their legacy look good while making people die in the process. Like exactly. the legacy beacon, like bright lights, like these stupid fucking things that we do. Uh, like and the, the spend pool more downtown. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd rather spend more money on these like short-term legacy projects, which, no surprise, or on policing and hurting the lives of these very people that we're trying to save. And also, 112 million in 2022 was go. the police budget. 112 million. Yeah. 112 million. Up from so, ni- up from 92 million in 2020, when ev- when everybody was talking about defunding the police, it's gone up an additional 20, 20 million dollars a year since then. So if you're sitting there wondering, well, I thought we had conversations about curbing the funding of police in, in the wake of the death of George Floyd and many others. We didn't. No, we didn't. It's continued to increase unabated they have a fucking tank sorry an an armored vehicle whatever the fuck they call them <laughs> for what like it's just i mean it's so stupid but anyway it's for when those palestinian protests get <laughs> too big get a little too rowdy i'm surprised they haven't trotted it out for those actually because they did trot them out for black lives matter for the black lives matter protests yeah. yeah and they just trotted out to do it they just trotted out to have fun like right they need something to do with it tank like, yeah, they got to do something with it, right? So they bring it out to Santa Claus Parade and shit, oh literally. I don't know if they did it this year, but they have in the past. Yeah. So no. we, could have, we could have the tank, or we could have <laughs> right. people not dying. Yeah. You have to pick one. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing is, like, anytime anyone, if you're listening to this, and, like, you're having a conversation with someone, like, in your community or family, whatever, right, about this, and they're like, yeah, well, you know, we just... Don't ever let anyone tell you that there isn't enough money for this because we no we're not stupid. No one's stupid. We all know how politics works and we know that when the politicians want something they find a way to get it, right? Yeah. They bargain. If the city cared about it this much and was willing to push back against the province and use whatever leverage they have, they would do that. Yeah. But 
they're not. Yeah. And, you know, you can go into the whole modern monetary theory argument that, like, you know, governments that with fiat currencies like Canada has, we could literally just, as long as we have the material resources and the human labor to do something, we can do it. Money is actually not a part of the equation. And that's obviously at the federal level. Once you get into provincial and municipal bu- budgets that's set by the federal government, then, yeah, you do have limits. But in theory, there are no limits. That's the mm. thing. As long as you have the people to do the work and the resources to make the things, you can do it. That's all it is, you know? It Just never buy the argument that you can't afford to do something, especially if it's bettering your community. Because, like, for fuck's sake, it's, it's not hard to make the world a better place not hard to make our communities better places not it, only that but political it saves will. us money it yeah, actually I mean, saves it us money if, i mean when that yeah. is your argument which like i agree absolutely never let money be the thing that stands in your way mm-hmm. but largely time and time again if that's the route you want to go down it still doesn't stand up because no, time true. and time again we show that these things that make our communities better that these things that are saving our communities like the cts site do save us money. One study mm. in Calgary of a CTS site similar to ours, I mean, obviously Calgary being a slightly bigger city, but over the course of less than three years, or just over two years, they saved their city over $2.3 million in the lifetime of their CTS program because being able to provide services like this are saving people. It's saving the medical um, expenditures. It's saving 67% of um, 60%, 67% fewer ambulance rides treating overdoses. It's decreasing infections. It's decreasing need for medical care. It's decreasing need for community support care. It's also decreasing the need for referrals because we had, for example, an RCTS site of those 600 people, over 100 of those were referred to other services in the community, which is then helping them and saving costs on, on services. And so... Like you said, Travis, you know, there's, there's not, even a there's not an excuse, argument. Yeah. but even when you want to try to go down that, that route of argument, you're wrong. Yeah, exactly. And that, and to, to further Bilal's point that, that means what? That means it's a political argument. Exactly. They, they, they don't want to fund these things on the pro on the provincial or municipal level. Because, just say you hate poor people. Because you hate poor people. Just say it. Just say mm. the just say the quiet part loud, so we know what the fuck you're doing. Yeah, they hate poor people, and they they feel that it's bad for business. Which yes. a it's not. Like we're, again, we're proving filming, that it's not. Literally, we we we're recording this podcast 200 meters from where Safe Point mm. is. I live 200 meters from Safe Point. Yeah. Uh, I see people using in my backyard and back parking lot every single day. Yeah. Right. Um, Safe Point has not changed that at all. It's actually cleaned up the streets, to, yeah. to be honest, to use that word, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, But, like, you see less of that. You see less of it out going the inside and doing yeah. it now. So it's funny, like, this whole thing about, like, oh, it's near the it's near the duty-free or it's near this hotel. And, like, we were going into these businesses, actually, at the time and, like, talking to them and trying to explain to them, like hey, you know this is actually good for you. Like, this is... If you're so worried about these people, like, being in your doorway or your alley or anything, this is getting them out of there, right? And I I, I don't know what it is, honestly. Like, so... Like, well, no, other than stigma, right? Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, so it's interesting you bring up the business thing because this was an, an article that uh, came out on, the, on CBC on November 30th, uh, which... Uh, 
which is the headline is uh, Windsor's safe point is safe, says health unit amid province wide review. The site will close at the end of the year due to lack of funding. Um, an ambiguous headline that made me at first think, oh, is it fine? We're keeping it, but no. Um, so this article, uh, you know, is attempting to, to, to make the argument that like, listen, these things are very safe. They're not, they're not a threat to the community, which commendable, but you get down a little bit in the article. And of course, the last two thirds of the article is talking about the effect on businesses. And they interview basically every business owner within, you know, a 200 meter radius of, of the, the thing. Like, and they're, all, and they're all just saying, what's that? They didn't interview us. Yeah, there you go. They didn't, but- uh, We're closer than duty free. Yeah, it's true. For those who know, like Cam Cam runs a business. Yeah, two hundred meters from duty or from Safe Point, right? Yeah, closer than duty free or the hotel or any of these other businesses that get quoted in every single one of these articles. The hair salon, the yeah. other thing. Yeah, we're right there. Like this is from uh, Antoine uh, Grage. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Uh, from the, the hair salon owner, basically he said, uh, "I haven't seen anything dangerous my- here myself, even though I'm against the safe injection site." My biggest fear was going to happen uh, if someone if someone goes if something goes wrong outside and an innocent bystander will be the victim and this has happened in Toronto. Really, you were worried about that before it happened in Toronto, my guy. You were fucking not. But like, and that and that's the the timbre of all of these these business owners that they make a point of going to. Now, this article does not. Uh, maybe I should. No, it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't talk to a single person uh, with lived experience. Not one. Not one. Doesn't talk to any advocates. Doesn't talk to any anybody except for business owners and the health unit. It's that professionalization, right? Mm-hmm. And it, and it it just why do I care what a hair salon owner has to say about fucking harm reduction? Mm-hmm. I don't give a shit. That person doesn't know shit about harm reduction. If we, if the story was about you know the best fucking bowl cut, then yeah, okay, I want to hear what he has to say. <laughs> but he's not. But that's not what it fucking oh my is. God. <laughs> that's so fucking. That's so true. Like. <laughs> Like, it's almost like they're deliberately, like, obscuring that. Yeah. Like, like, as we've, like, explained, right, this is so uncontroversially, I can't talk today, sorry, making up words. It's <laughs> so rooted in just the evidence to the point where it's it's objective at this point. Yeah. If you are arguing against harm reduction, you are making a... Uh, it's not factual whatever you're yeah. saying you're pulling shit out of your ass and you're stupid if yeah. you don't believe in harm reduction you're looking at either you like uh, can't read or you haven't looked into this or you're ignoring the reality that we're seeing yeah you know and, and this article has like a picture of the guy cutting hair and it's like what does it have to do with anything like it's <laughs> but just not to it's, like... it's so fucking stupid i mean not to <laughs> you know draw that comparable line to for everything to um to palestine but yeah you know no, the, we, the comparisons we, we are real point to doing that do we, right <laughs> yeah. so it's it's kind of you know journalism today somehow it does not surprise me that we're not hearing the voices of the people who are genuinely experts and who genuinely who are being affected by this yeah. just in the same way that we we're not hearing palestinian voices yeah. just in the same way that we're never hearing we are never hearing the voices of the oppressed that's never the voices that we're asking, or so rarely. And then even when you know when we are, it's it's very curated voices and or very curated platforms. Or, yeah. Yeah, and so we're not. Of course, we're not going to give a voice to either hardly to harm reduction workers, and especially not to people with lived experience, because the truth and would be undeniable. 
Do you know if this hairdresser condemns Hamas? <laughs> <laughs> Did anybody ask him? Did anyone ask? It's the question sure, I have. That is the, it's my <laughs> new These are the words for people. I, like, oh, what I see yeah. you do, you condemn Hamas? Do you condemn Hamas? Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, but it's... And, and this is something that you'll notice on... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I did get asked on the news. You did, I listened to it. Yeah. I'm aware. <laughs> but this is something that you see in media coverage uh, about poverty and issues of poverty. And again, I know that this is something that affects all different socioeconomic classes, but but uh, disproportionately the poor. And, and and this is something you will see on every single news article about the poor. It is always going to circle back to talking to small business owners for some stupid fucking Which reason. Which fucking kills me because more <laughs> like, of the poor, like more of the people who are using these sites and the people in poverty, like they're actually the citizens of downtown. Yeah. And we actually know that a large number of panhandlers actually do have a home and live downtown. They just can't afford to. Yeah. Um, so these are literally citizens in every right of the word of downtown yeah. and many of the business owners are not citizens of downtown yeah. they don't live Rarely. down here they might not even be citizens of windsor no I'm exactly sure many of them live in like tecumseh or LaSalle, and they drive in yeah but their voices are so much more largely valued yeah. and heard and platforms given to them because everywhere but i you know see this so heightened in windsor and that we i mean we we value business above anything yeah. you know and it's those like we idolize and celebritize oh, our the small business the owners entrepreneurial spirit yeah it's godly like it's it's fucking ridiculous i mean like look i mean our politicians are a revolving door of business right like it's uh, ronaldo the downtown counselor why is he a counselor because he owns businesses downtown right and and he has for a long time he's been involved in businesses downtown for a long time so like it's yeah it, Chris Holt. Reno. Chris Holt, Reno. Yeah, exactly. Like they're like you can go down the list, and it's like they're either lawyers or business owners, and mm-hmm. lawyers typically are also business owners. So it's it's just like that that framing, and then if you do get beyond that sort of sheen of small business owner, the next people they'll talk to are quote unquote residents, and we're not talking about the poor. We're talking about people who own property downtown, like on Victoria Street or something, you know. And it's just that. It's that that whole uh, you know not about us without us kind of thing where it's like yeah but that's we never actually talk to the people who are affected by this stuff like even when they talk to yeah because they'd rather the without us part well exactly and even and like even when you look at the media coverage when they do manage to talk to people who are obviously pro harm reduction they'll talk to Bilal and Cam and myself or they'll talk to other people mm-hmm. who also aren't the people who you know like just because we're on their side we're also not representatives of that literally the media i don't know why they're they always call me for these harm reduction stories and like i'm happy to do that yeah but also like part of me is like this is weird because i'm not someone with i i've i don't not have personal lived experience in this right like i've I've seen a lot of it firsthand i grew up around a lot of stuff pertaining to that yeah. Right? But like, why are you talking to me? Like what? And it's, it's always the same people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's very mess. I, I think part of that is like just the movement we had built was yeah. uh, there's kind of two points. The first one was you were just talking about this, like small business, uh, PMC, uh, political class that exists in Windsor, like the local libs that we often like yeah. j- joke about. Right. Like, the, the 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 pro save point movement 
was done in conjunction with them. And that is something that at least I going into this uh, have learned a lot from because it did not involve a single person with lived experience. And that yeah. was a huge mistake. But I, I think the reason why there is a fixation with like this more bureaucratic form of harm reduction among the more like political class people is because they want to be in control of these things themselves. Whereas Windsor's true history of harm reduction was the quote unquote illegal site yeah, that yeah. actually started all of this stuff that the same group of people helped shut down in large part. The, the, the main advocates for safe point later on were the people saying the nothing when the cops tore down, you guys would know more about this. Yeah. We right? were both involved in it. We were both exactly. directly involved in it back then. Yeah. But the yeah. thing is, is that, you know, the, the movement that you're a part of, Bilal, it's such a struggle because the movement that you were a part of made Safe Point happen. Mm-hmm. The movement that we were a part of is what should have led to something like Safe Point. We should have gotten there. And it's the movement that was largely run by people with lived experience um, mm-hmm. and came from grassroots and came from community built, came from all of the right places but also was the movement that didn't have any resources or power and yeah. was the movement that got absolutely shut down. And so Ooh, I think the, yeah. the question is always, you know, how, how do we bridge that gap? How do we reach across and find each other so that the same resources mm-hmm. and support that you had to get SafePoint actually open, but the knowledge and community support that we had in our, in our site you know, can come together and can happen, which is, yeah. and feels like, damn near impossible in a city like this sometimes. It does. That's what I've been thinking about a lot is like this exact question of like, is, is save point even like viable at this point? And don't get me wrong. I will fight my ass off to keep this place open. Yeah, and stay we, tuned. Cause we we're are gonna be, doing this. We are we're, doing that. This is in the works. Yeah. If you want to get Reach involved, out. please. Cause we, I think the point is these things need to be so deeply actually connected to the community that the community will not let the politicians fucking dare take mm. this from yeah. us which is what happened with safe point and like we were able to kind of harness that anger mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but the other part of me is like wanting to see that more like quote-unquote illegal version of this just because that like i know that got destroyed and whatnot but mm-hmm. I think it's so important that it's from the bottom up as well yeah. and like something like that and if the, if the city I, I honestly think we should just do it and if the city is going to recognize it and fund it sure great but if not it's going to be can't take it away from We're doing the it anyway it's going exactly yeah. and like I'm ready to do that yeah. at this point and so are a lot of people and that's something mm-hmm. that was the case in 2013 2014 2015 when, we, when mm-hmm. we were doing it right like the 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 movement here and, and I, I say we as an, i'm pointing to star and i because like mm. we were involved in that but also uh you know there were a lot of other people uh involved in that and that as well and and yeah i mean like literally at the time like the the source of my particular beef with reno Burfenstocks, i mean borderland uh <laughs> is is uh is because of the of this issue it was when we were organizing around establishing an overdose prevention site and we were we were fucking hitting the goddamn pavement going in and talking to politicians and talking to any community stakeholders. I hate that fucking term, but community mm-hmm. stakeholders. And we were, we were setting up tents in public places and showing people what an overdose, what an underground overdose prevention site looks like, what's in it, how mm-hmm. they work, what happens. And then we were, we were saying, 
the city needs to work with us or work in general to make these things happen in a, in a safer way and in a legitimized way. And at every step of the way, the city stood in the way of, of us and would sick the police on us and would, and would, and would sit in council and, and talk about how, you know, these, these, these are illegitimate people. These are, these are people who don't have the, the core interest of the community and at villainize heart. us. It, they and literally villainized, villainized us. us. It, it literally villainized us. And to the point where, you know, it, it got personal. It got mm-hmm. absolutely personal where these politicians were attacking the character of people who were literally saving people's lives in a fucking tent in a rail cut. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, that's what mm-hmm. was happening in the city before there was a legitimate safe injection site. It's not that there weren't people out there making the effort. And, you know, not just the, the tent, but we had we had people who were going out doing and outreach, outreach and work and, and, and doing all of that. And supplies and, yeah. And these yeah. people would live experience yes. in large part. Large right? part, they were. And that's the thing. And it was people who, not just people with lived experience who were doing the work, but people with lived experience who were organizing, who were making decisions, who were, yep. like, designing this thing. It was people with lived experience who were, you know, leading this movement. And... Um, I think that's the thing too that we so often forget is that we like to build things like Safe Point and then hire peer support workers um, and pay them a nominal sum to be, you know, peer support workers and that a part of their um, qualifications is lived experience. But we're not giving people with lived experience the opportunity to lead these movements. And I think that's such an absolute mistake and something mm-hmm. that if we're going to see a shift in Safe Point, I would love to see that in the future and even the, the work that we're doing to try to help safe point and save it i would love to see more people with lived experience being brought into mm-hmm. the beginning of that yeah and I, yeah i don't even think it should be up to us yeah exactly. like, mm. frankly like i don't yeah. think it should be like oh we should like allow these people in like obviously in spirit i agree with with that and yeah. what right saying, but, but we shouldn't be the gatekeepers exactly no. we shouldn't get in their way because they're they're going to do it this yeah. is like an organic process that happens whenever like there's that level of fucking misery and and suffering and death like people are going to respond to that and let's fucking help them or get the fuck out of their way as the thing is like they're already doing it i think yeah. this is something that people forget is that um like with my work at, at positive pathways which is an organization in windsor that distributes harm reduction supplies and has for many many years shouts out um yeah shouts out to we positive pathways and path. yes we do path. Um, we've had people from positive path or come into positive pathways who they collect supplies and they bring it back to their apartment complexes. They bring it back to their, you know, gathering spaces to people that they know, and they are constantly already distributing harm reduction supplies. They're constantly already playing that role of an advocate, playing that role of, um, oversight and keeping people safe of, of a peer. Mm -hmm. And so these things are already happening and it's like the, people with lived experience that are already doing that and so there's no need for us to like take that platform we just need to give them the resources to do it better do it wider and also safer safer. safer. because because honestly a tent in the middle of a rail cut is not the best it's not the ideal solution you know but if that's if that's what it comes down to that's what we'll fucking do Mm -hmm. right a a hyper sterile like hospital looking setting is also not ideal no That's why, like, something about us with or nothing about us without us is not just like an 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 ethical statement. It's a Mm -hmm. it's a logistical one because, like, part of this and like I I I wasn't actually aware that Safe Point was this effective up until this point. 
but there is an impression in like the harm reduction community that safe point isn't as effective as it could be and i think part of that is because it's not peer-to-peer because yeah. there isn't this uh organic connection to the community and it's not like mm-hmm. like a, when you open up you plop down from above like there's this hand that plops yes. that down in the middle of downtown Literally this benevolent city council hand and they're like here's the thing like how do you build trust between that and the community when you're bringing in more cops or bringing in nurses people with uh people who struggle with substance abuse often don't trust the police don't trust hospital settings don't trust anything like that right so how do you how do you build that without that organic connection Mm -hmm. that's why i'm almost like you know like the 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 rail cut one is probably more uh, effective in a lot of ways because you know where they're at exactly because it's people who you know these people yeah like on an intimate level and and i mean if you look at at, uh at uh you know the vancouver harm reduction sites that's that's what they yes they managed to get brick and mortar spots pretty quickly but they didn't start out that way you look at 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 parkdale and and Mm -hmm. high park in toronto where where that was sort of the epicenter of that mm-hmm. beginning in like 2009 through 2013 it was tents in parks mm-hmm. in fact exactly. and and like i was going to say too like there's this there's this uh, tendency to call them illegal and i've had to stop myself from saying that they're not illegal in fact the supreme court of canada has ruled over and over again that not only are these legal but they are like protected mm-hmm. under the law because they are they are recognized as something that that is purely exists to save lives that's it that's mm-hmm. the only reason they exist not to distribute drugs not to make things worse, but to save lives of people who are going to die without them. Right. So it, what happened in Windsor then? Like with, because I know like police got involved and stuff. Like, are you guys able to talk about that or is that? I don't know. Without certain people here, I don't know that we, we can say a lot. But okay. yeah, yeah, that's fair. I you mean, like, I, I mean, I know I was at, like, I'll just talk from my own, own experience. And sorry, you can too, because I know you were at a lot of these. Because yeah, I know absolutely. it's legal, but it was still yeah. repressed, right? So oh, 100%. Just, like, yeah, like we were shot down by the cops every single time we tried to open up. And right. then just because it's legal doesn't mean that the city cares that it's, no. or is right. going to treat it as such. No, and, and right. it, it didn't, be, it became about, um, so they were they were getting shut down by cops all the time. Even while people were inside the musing and mm-hmm. like being protected, the cops would come in and like, you, got, and you have, the, you the have five minutes cops, to get the tent down or we're taking it down kind of thing and the other thing that the cops like to do is um and they they occasionally try to do this with positive pathways as well but positive pathways has an agreement where they can't be within a certain um distance a certain radius of the location um so they would come to the site and sort of stake out and therefore they're yeah. essentially waiting to see if they can see somebody who is either doing some who is doing something illegal or someone that they might be looking for or yep. something like that the rope squad and they'll so, send the rope squad on them exactly, yeah, exactly. and so then it, it makes it feel unsafe for substance users to actually come use the site because now it's a hot spot for the cops right. yeah yeah and so so uh the way that because we would always argue like well, you can't tear these things down they're protected under the law and the way the city would get around it and this is this came from counselors first Counselors mm-hmm. first and police second, including Reno, including Chris Holt, including like virtually across the board, was it wasn't an issue of a, of a tent being set up. It was where it was being set up. It all became about what else? Property. And we mm-hmm. couldn't set up in the rail cut because it's private property. We couldn't set up in this other spot because it's city property. We couldn't set up here because it was this person's property. So we essentially had to try to move the thing around. And eventually I think we found a sympathetic homeowner who like let us set it up in their fucking backyard. And yeah. That's, and that, was the ol- 
business. It was the only time. Yeah. And that was the only time that we weren't harassed. We couldn't be harassed by the cops quite as easily because the owner of that property let us set up. So it it wasn't even about whether or not that, and we'd always get that said to us by politicians. Well, you know, it's not, not that we disagree with these. You just can't be doing it wherever you want. But then we tried to to do it legitimately. And yeah, exactly. Now it, you know, exactly. And now, I mean, it was, that was still the first argument is location is yeah. where for under different grounds, but still. And, and I will say like, mm-hmm. you know, not to harp on Reno, but he was the downtown council at the time. Uh, he has come around on a lot of this stuff in the, in the intervening years, but only because it's being seen as more legitimate back when we were doing it, it wasn't. And so he wasn't for it, you know? And, and he would always say, well, I want a safe injection site, but I want brick and mortar and professionally staffed. And we're like, motherfucker you're missing the point <laughs> you know, like, right us <laughs> like, too yeah yeah look well i mean to an extent but not the professionally staffed part you no. know yeah and and that was always the thing that seemed to just fly over the heads of all these counselors is that they were ignoring so how so harm reduction works anyway i'm getting ranty mm-hmm. fucking thinking it's about that time the whole idea well yeah but thinking about that time gets me like <laughs> particularly right. fired up because i think this is really important though for people yeah. to know because like i didn't know that this was a thing before i like carp helped found save the cts right yeah like i think people need to know that this is the actual history of harm reduction in windsor yeah. and save point didn't come out of nowhere because and i think this is like something we should get into more is like what's next how do we save safe point if that's a thing mm. should we save safe point maybe it's a question yeah. which obviously yes and like yes. we're doing that yeah but you know like what this should look like and how do we actually keep these places open and i think without that history of like oh this came from the community first and politicians hopped on it later and as a means to co-opt it and put it through mm-hmm. safe channels like yeah. that is very valuable context like, yeah i don't 100%. know like wh- how where do we go from here is like the question and that's that's the thing i mean like if, if you're out there and you're listening to this and you want to get involved now's the time right like we there are we've been meeting with a with a working group to try to discuss how we're going to attack this who we need to talk to you know who are the who are the very I, stakeholders maybe is a word i need to get used to using i just hate it but who are the stakeholders here and and so like if you're someone listening to this who just wants to get involved and wants to like you know help that organizing effort uh if you're a peer and you're just you don't you just haven't you know figured out how you want to get into it like you can always email us at at the river in the land at gmail.com we're we're a safe place to do so uh you know and and we'll we'll connect you with with the people who are doing this work because we we need more people involved in this if we're going to pull it off because it, mm-hmm. it's closing at the end of this month right and it's christmas mm-hmm. too so like i'm gonna be gone for half the month you know what i mean so like it's, and it's also uh, the closing at a time where it's needed most exactly I mean, mm-hmm. you know we've seen like through covid we've seen yeah pause pathways we would often talk about the twin demic mm-hmm. um where substance use and overdose deaths and um opioid use and unsafe supplies was increasing and increasing and increasing through COVID. Now where we're at, um, just economically speaking, we're seeing continued increases in, in substance use, continued increases in unsafe supplies, continued increases in our community in overdoses. Um, and that's only going to be helped by movements like Safe Point. And I think the other thing that we need to consider is that we need both. We need that I guess sort of top down we need we need to find funding we need to place political pressure we need mm-hmm. to be talking to our politicians talking to all of those counselors yeah. and demanding that they change their stance that they 
at least support funding yep. um, through your city budget and help figure out where does this money come from because there's lots of places for it to come from. Yeah. And then we also need bottom up. We need to find people who are um, already doing this work in the mm-hmm. community. They they're everywhere yeah. you know we need to find people with lived experience and peers who are able to connect us and feel safe with connecting with you know with the movement and the action that's happening so that they can be making decisions so that they can be figuring out how do we organize at a community level how do we organize at a grassroots level do we bring back our tents you know yeah. do we bring back that grassroots level that in the community distribution um and especially if we if we find that safe point pauses for any length of time, we need to be there to fill it in, yeah. to fill in that gap. It's going to 600 people that have been served, who knows how many times I didn't get that yeah, yeah, number yeah. Um, since April. So we need to be able to fill in that gap. And I think that there's ways that we can do both. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And, and we should be doing that. Yeah. And I mean like, and, and yeah, maybe, you know, if you don't know who your city councilor is, you know, you can find out by going to the city of Windsor website and looking where you are on a map and, and write them an email and just say, mm-hmm. listen, I'm sorry, but you need to, if, if the, in the lieu of the province not doing this, you need to do it. You need to make it happen. Uh, and then obviously put that pressure. I, I'm not always a fan of like, you know, writing your, your MP or whatever, your MPP, but like it, it will affect something potentially in this case. Like the uh, the Tecumseh and Essex County uh, representatives are both conservative party members. So if you're in those wards or you're in those ridings, uh, email them and tell them that this is unacceptable and the province needs to be funding uh, overdose prevention sites. Is that going to move the needle? I, I don't know. I'm cynical about that kind of shit. But at the same time, it, it's got to be a multi-pronged thing, right? We have to like exhaust every possible avenue to keep this open because mm-hmm. people are going to die if it's not there exactly i dur- during the last like round of this organizing w- kind of what stuck with me is like my friend Kimia, friend of the show was saying like we have to operate on a basis of optimism mm-hmm. because last time people were like oh it's over we're fucked yeah. we're not getting yeah. safe point open that's what these like we had met with like city councilors and politicians and harm reduction experts everyone believed that the safe point did not save a chance yet we saved it twice right and it's like mm-hmm. i i really do think we we can't limit ourselves yeah. to just like oh we have to go back to the tents it's over we're fucked we have to operate on the basis of optimism and like the fact that we can do this again i do think it's different this time because we don't have insider support whereas last time there were sympathetic city councilors and there were sympathetic people on the inside that does not exist now at all so it's going to have to be a purely grassroots thing and i think we have to build up an even stronger outrage in the community we have to keep kind of branding this as like you're killing people which Mm -hmm. is what they're doing this is what the city is doing they are making a deliberate political decision to allow community members to die Mm -hmm. this is violence yeah that's what that's what it is right and I guess we're, we're going to have more to say on this in the next coming weeks as to like what kind of response we are organizing, but like we are on this and like, I don't know. I'm, I'm just, tr- I'm just trying to be optimistic yeah, you know, and say like, we, we, we can't just resign already, you know, which yeah. I think like 
I'm I'm struggling with falling into because I'm like, God damn it, again we're yeah. here. And it does seem bleaker this time, but like it was bleak last time. Yeah. And even if we don't, harm reduction is a revolutionary working class bottom up practice right it's not mm-hmm. something that's given to you it's something that community fosters for itself going back to its origins with like the fucking black panther party yeah right mm-hmm. they were were they waiting for city council or the cops to give them permission to do what they did yeah no, they just fucking did it just and did it. they did it so effectively that they, no one could stand in your way yeah that's yeah. what we need to do and that's that's the history of harm reduction right going back to the aids crisis like you say like that's 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 people said well you're not going to protect us we'll protect ourselves and that's mm-hmm. really the op- that's how we should be operating at all times if we're being honest right whether it's covid whether it's homelessness whatever the issue is communities should be operating under the premise of we need to protect ourselves because no none of these fucks above us are actually concerned mm-hmm. about doing that they're concerned about making political points and that's about it right. well that's the lesson is we let go of of that we gave safe point away uh, to to the bureaucrats and to the politicians. Once the com- the community won it by showing up, right, and mm-hmm. it really organizing for this, and then we just let them have it, and we lost control of that. Yeah, and I think that was a huge mistake. That's the what the lesson was, and we need to not do this the next time. It needs to remain under community control, whatever that, however that looks like, or whatever form that takes. It's not up to me to say. It's up mm-hmm. for people with. It's up to the the actual people who require this service and are using this, and ideally the people who are going to be running it mm-hmm. in the future to decide. Yeah. I think that's a good natural ending point. Uh, let's see either of you had another point to make at some point. But no. yeah. Um, so yeah, again, like if if you are someone who wants to get involved in this and you don't you know, you don't have to be a person with lived experience to get involved, right? Your voice is still important here. But if you know, if if you are a person with lived experience email us interact with us wherever you want uh at the river in the land on uh, instagram trtl podcast on twitter uh the river in the land at gmail.com reach out to us because like we don't have we don't have any answers right we're we're mm-hmm. one of the reasons we started this podcast we want us to we, ha- we want to have the conversations but we also want to use it as a way to amplify a voice right so uh please be that voice if you if you think you are someone who can be please leave us a review <laughs> it's really bugging me that we had only five stars and then one motherfucker left us a one star review some Zion- really? I bet it was a zionist i didn't even see this shit. Yeah, we're at a 4.7 please get us up there it is i'm like neurotic guys see, I, I aim for a three i want all fives and ones in equal measure that they feel like you know the winston churchill that's when they're doing our job you know to quote yeah to quote, to quote winston, winston churchill, churchill my favorite white supremacist <laughs> If you don't have oh enemies, uh, liberals, what are you doing? Yeah, that's your guy. Anyway, I feel like I should probably review your podcast, huh? Please. Yeah, what the fuck, Star? Get us to a four point eight. Gotcha. You're a biggest fan. Get out there. Literally, I didn't say I'm your biggest fan. I said I'm Bilal's biggest fan. No, yeah, no, actually, I, mean, I was very clear fan. about this. <laughs> I am the podcast. <laughs> Wait, please come it. back on to hype me up and. Uh, <laughs> No, but please just come back on in general. I was saying this, if Star was in Windsor more often, because you're kind of half here, uh, if you were in Windsor more often, you'd, you'd probably be a pretty regular co-host. I think it, like it, I said, you know. I am your secret co-host. <laughs> I, am, I am speaking through and arguing with, well, like alongside. Keep sending um, me and voice commenting. Notes, yeah. 
Because I, I will publish him. We'll put him on the podcast. Yeah. We'll put the voice notes on the podcast. That's <laughs> like, so amazing. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, thanks for listening as always. And uh, we'll see you. We'll see you next time. We are now in the process of defeating the radical.